We are the new fall. Not like the old one. We are the new fall. This is the episode where my dogged attempt to reject the idea that the fall had an unstable lineup really doesn't stand up. Five albums and countless members in part five of our six-part journey through the fall's discography, that's uh, Temporary Fandoms episode 19 if you're counting, we're somewhat aptly joined by a completely new set of guests. Hopefully you've already heard parts one to four, along with several other episodes covering bands from Can to Yola Tango via the Pogues and the Butthole Surfers. You can find them all on our host's Beat Rehab, that's beat.rehab slash tempfans, and on our new site at tempfans.com. We also exist as a Facebook group where we listen to a different album almost every weekday. You can join that group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, and all that shite. We love to hear from you and your suggestions for future episodes. Shall we get started? I suspect we probably should. This is the penultimate episode of our painstaking guide to the fall. Welcome to episode 19 of Temporary Fandoms. I am Ewan. I'm Nick. And we are still doing the fall, but we are rapidly approaching the end. So I don't know what Nick's going to do after this. Uh, <laughs> he has waited for this moment for a long time, and now it's here. We are plowing through it very, very, very quickly. Um, as you know, we have a re revolving lineup, much like the fall. And for the next two episodes, we have some old voices and some new. Um, starting off, we've got James Kennedy. Hey, James, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. And which albums uh, are you talking us through today? I'll be talking you through the um, my favourite full album of the uh, 32-33, Are uh, You Are Missing Winner. The, uh, then I'll be doing the real new full LP, also known as Country on the Click. And then finally, I'll be doing Full Heads Roll. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. I'm rejoining us, Norway's finest Norwegian-American stand-up comedian, Aaron Troy White. Hey, Aaron. Hello there. Welcome back. What have you got for us today? Um, I'll be picking up where James left off with uh, Reformation post-TLC, uh, Imperial Wax uh, Solvent, I've had the practice to say that because Americans and British say it in different ways. How, how do you say solvent? We more say we may we more say an American solvent. Really? Yeah. What solvent? Either that or I'm a <laughs> like, moron. One like three. <laughs> one one and, of the two. And there will be more intros oh, from Aaron in the and, next episode. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the next episode. Sorry. <laughs> that's next episode, Aaron. Sorry. Um, also joining us. Um, no introductions in this episode, but in the next episode there will be uh, plenty lifelong. Is it fair to say lifelong fall fans, Mike Flamman? A good proportion of it, yes. Awesome. And finally, I was tr I was trying to work out whether to use and featuring or with because when you've got lots of actors on a, a cast list, some of them are and, some of them are with, some of them are featuring. So this time, featuring uh, Blue Orchid Tansy McNally. Hey, Tansy. Featuring sounds good. I like featuring. Yes. Featuring, featuring Tansy McNally, and, yes. the, and we will find out uh, her opinions on, on the records as everybody else's as we go. Um, before we start, as you know, there is a Spotify playlist that can accompany or replace the podcast. Um, you know where to find that if you don't look in the description when you found this pod. If this is your first 
uh, episode, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Stop it right now. Go back and find the older episodes, whether it's the four parts, one, two, three, and four, or other artists, including Can, where Aaron looked on me incredulously as I expressed my opinions, um, or the Butthole Surfers, where Aaron looked on incredulously while I expressed my opinions, or any of the others where Nick has looked on incredulously as I expressed my opinions. Um, if you really like us, please stop, leave us a review on Apple or iTunes or Acast or whichever, wherever you get your pods. And if you really, really like us, if you go to tempfans.com, go to the episode, click the little dollar sign, you could give us three dollars, three euros, three pounds. Um, we can spend it on coffee or we can go towards yeah, our hosting costs. Yeah. So we can get the bus home. Oh, I can get the bus home, but there's a lockdown, so there's no buses. Um, so without any further shenanigans, we're going to get started and we'll be back after this. If the unutterable exists in a nebulous, colour-saturated realm where our protagonist, antagonist, travels beyond time and relative dimensions in space, then I, you are missing winner, finds him inhabiting a new body with a new group in the basement of a cellar under a boxing gym. Rats are scurrying around rubbish and recording is frequently interrupted by the sounds of barbell weights crashing to the floor. This shift in colour palette is something I believe is felt across many adjoining fall albums. A good example being the uncanny fragments in the Shadows of Dragnet, followed by the gaudy fairground ride operated by the Hobbit folk and grotesque after the gram. But after the unutterable, this sudden change in stylistic tone wasn't very received by full fans and remains one of the more divisive albums in the Falls catalogue. But I'm happy to take you through this album because as it stands, it is subjectively my favourite by the band. Whilst not a technical culmination of what they've been building up to with lyrics and music flowing straight from the pen and pipe, exactly late next induction hour a chart bothering new band still without compromise this nation saving grace or an introspective blood on the tracks like extricate it's one i've had in my ears the most ever since its release in 2001 and then its subsequent reissue by castle in 2006 and also it contains some moments i want played out loud at my funeral are you are missing winner was preceded by double A side Rude All the Time and I Wake Up in the City. Rude All the Time was seemingly recorded in someone's front room in the small hours well after the pub shut. The lead vocals and guitar are from Ed Blaney, a friend of MES's, who would take on a number of roles during this period, including manager, promoter, guitarist, backing singer. MES interjects on backing vocals yet is firmly centre stage on the flip side. I Wake Up in the City opens with buzzsaw guitars, a barked order to turn the music up, and careers into nearly five minutes of pure rock and roll, containing solo by a radio programme, and one of the best uses of a smoker's cough in music history. The single was mail order only release, and became rare quite quickly, changing hands for about £30 each, well before the vinyl revival of last decade. The group at this stage were Jim Watts on bass, Spencer Burtwistle on drums, Ben Pritchard on guitar, 
Brian Fanning in guitar and bass, but more of him later. And again, Ed Blaney, who comes up on three songwriting duties, guitar and backing vocals. This is, perversely, a debut album recorded by a brand new group. This is the new form, not like the old one. The new form don't have Pro Tools, programming or synthesizers. This album was hurried out without mastering, resulting in wildly erratic sound levels, but this results in a really punchy, rough sound. You can hear it when opener dims the full bursts out the traps, distorted backing vocals and a terrific busted speaker sound. Guitar and bass refrains in distorted harmony, and as the backing chorus of grotesque peasants shouts, we are the new fall, MES informs us that you better have a look, cop. It's a great call to arms. Next, we've got the first of many covers and rip-offs scattered across the album. Next is Bourgeois Town, a take on Lev Belly's Bourgeois Blues. That busted speaker wretches bile through the track, accompanied at the start by what sounds like a speaking spell. It's a mean, alcoholic swagger through the city, MES sounding alternately defiant and barrel-aged beyond his years. It ends abruptly, then one of the album's best offerings starts up. Crop dust is built heavily around a three-second loop of I Just Sing by the Trogs, giving the song a relentless marching beat. MES doesn't appear until just after a minute, but when he does, you know he's there delivering a cryptic Sermon on the Mount, which may or may not be a premonition of the destruction of the Twin Towers in September that year. Hit the Can is a song of two parts, hungover guitar and a lead line that sounds like the hero riding into town. When that stops, there's a groove you can get your shirt tail flapping in the wind to. My ex-classmate's Kids, co-written by Yvette Blaney, has the same melody as the earlier I Wake Up in the City, but slower, more menacing and different lyrics. After quite the opening salvo, the cover of R. Dean Taylor's Got to See Jane does seem like a bit of a breather before the utter majesty of what comes next. If any one track can sum up the Are You Are Missing Winner experience, it's got to be track 7 and the 9 minute and a half Ibis Afro Man. Not a true original, based around Dickie Pop's African Man of 1978's New Values LP, and not even a cohesive whole. Instead, for three and a half minutes of its running time, it's a barrage of sound with a tape-recorded vocal take in one ear, a rudimentary studio track in another, a lurching glam stomp at an elephant's pace which gets louder and more present until at one point it seems to consume MES who is wailing about his plight as a travelling salesman who spends too much time in budget hotels. After three and a half minutes, the studio version stops abruptly, and while the tape recorder vocals still play, another tape with an ear-splitting monkey's scream is played and re-round for about a minute and a half. When that eventually stops, there follows a live rendition using lyrics from Gene Vincent's Race of the Devil, and a track which channels rock and roll and hawkwind and swirling tornado synths. I have to say this section is quite possibly my favourite piece of form across the entire catalogue. All hell-breaking loops with the band playing for their lives, whilst MES vocalises us through the storm. 
it ends sensibly enough with a phone buzzing, audience adoration, and a snippet of birthday song from the Marshall Suite. We're taken through the introspective and lo-fi of the acute, and then the rabble-rousing hollow mind, and to end with a curio with the unwieldy title of Reprise, Prof Mick, Jane, a Bastardo. The tape inexplicably stops and starts, and then MES finally chimes in with a voice like your cheeky uncle Toby, being rude about the band, until finally there's a rockabilly reprise of the earlier Gotta See Jane. Dave Thompson's excellent User's Guide to the Fall, released around this time, has a quote from MES on the cover, stating that, I like to look at the, uh, the albums like diaries. I'm not one for nostalgia. If full albums are diaries, All You Are Missing Winner is the raggedy one that stinks of smell ashtrays, food stains and yellowing sellotape, barely holding the sepia of photographs to the, ste- to the page. As I said, it's one I return to. Every year, I regret not picking up the picture disc when I saw it at gigs, especially as it now has been seen changing hands for £500 on eBay. With the token stopgap release 2G Plus 2, released in July 2002, a second spoken word solo album, Panda, Panda, Panza, in September, and stopgap single The Fall Versus 2003 in December, one thing that fans' ears may have picked up on was that, well, on the last 2002 releases, that there were more since. The credits to Panda, Panda, Panza, released on action in 2002, September, give thanks in particular to Lazy Lady EP. I'm basing this next segment on the assumption that EP is in fact MES's dead wife, Eleanor Poole, who would be instrumental in not only providing synths and backing vocals, but also in guiding MES and the fall through three, maybe four renaissances and even the steadiest band lineup since the band's 80s and 90s glory years. 2003 really kicked off with a treat for full fans, the first John Peel session since 1998. And whilst 1998 session had been rather basic musically, yet threatening and abrasive to say the least, 2003's was the sound of the band leader back in the room with the new band. Three instantly recognisable tunes, Sparta FC, Contraflow and Greed-Eyed Loco Man, and a fast and furious rendition of the near-sued Mag Ed of 1982's Ex-Induction Album. An album, Country on the Click, had been recorded at the end of 2002, but was shelved following a pre-release leak and MES's claim that it sounded like Doctor Who, perhaps too close for comfort for him. Tidied up in the custody tour of the States, it was released in November 2003. I was at the in-store signing at Manchester Maitland V, and it was absolutely packed. There seemed to be a real buzz around the new album, which I'd had snatches of when they played a fantastic gig at the city's beer cellar the month before. The one that went, open the box, open the box, started the show, but it sounded like an instant classic. Again, the sound of a new band. 
I joined the front of the queue for a signing, but was told by the venue's security that I needed to buy an album before getting it signed. Nonplussed, I stayed in the queue. When it was my turn, I handed MES the only thing I had in my rucksack, a copy of the Daily Mail, which I'd taken from my shift working at Fallowfield's wonderful Friendship Inn. The cover story featured a profile of a man who had infected his partners with the AIDS virus. The headline shouted in stark daily mail lettering, Man who sentenced his lovers to death. On seeing it, I got a hearty laugh and a cheeky wink of MES and perplexed shrugs from his band members. I bought the CD and it's jam-packed with hits. 12 songs, 45 minutes. Perfect. This new band sounded totally ready for whatever the decade will hit them and play like it's their last. Again, we have Ben Pritchard on guitar, Jim Watts on bass, though conversely the US version of the album, we have Simon Dean Garcher featuring, Dave Milner on drums and Eleanor Pulu on keyboards. And whether songs that sound like terrace anthems or streams of consciousness like MES is summoning demons, there's absolutely no flab at all. With this, and the fact that the fall had been around in some shape or form for nearly 25 years, 24 would come, like it or not, as some sort of celebration, albeit one that would end firmly with an end of an era and see MES at another crossroads. 2004 started with a delayed tour, and MES fractured his hip in February that year. I saw them at the rescheduled gig at Birmingham's Irish Centre, and despite two bass players appearing on stage, Simon Archer and the new bassist Steve Trafford, the night wasn't one of the best times I'd seen them, with MES sitting on a chair behind a trestle table, the sound muffled. Thank heavens the Irish Centre had a high stage. The set, containing more than a usual share of numbers from the back catalogue and the token Mr. Pharmacist cover, however, it was great to enjoy a free song of excitement when I realised they were covering the moves I can hear the grass grow, and when moving to the back of the room to avoid the post-kick brush, the muffled sound suddenly became cavernous with a wonderful cover of I Am Demo Suzuki of This Nation's Saving Grace, MES rising from his seat and towering above us all. Two thousand and four and two thousand and five were, in the main, a great time to be a full fan. Two biographies had been published to sit alongside the earlier user's guide. Simon Ford's hit priest, chronicling the group Start the Present and Mick Middleton's The Fall, which benefited, in a sense, with a more disjointed timeline and interviews and altercations with Marky Smith himself. There was also the start of a comprehensive reissue programme of the group's albums, including CDs with extra tracks, live recordings and extensive sleeve notes by Daryl Easley. And the first, a comprehensive double Greatest Hits CD, 50,000 Full Fans Can't Be Wrong, which was released in June that year, fitting in as much from Repetition to Green-Eyed Loco Man. There was more to come. But after a successful American tour, the group went back to the BBC to record another John Peel session in August. This would be the 24th session, and despite being a fan since 1996, was the one I heard broadcast live. 
First up was Class Hands, a band up front, a lovely bit of authoritarian rockabilly, with a breakdown in the middle that referenced the classic elves' I Wanna Be Your Dog riff, before returning for a stellar finish. Following that later in the programme was Blindness, and after a typically peel false start, a legend was born. Blindness, with its pulverising bassline and a classic MES story, very quickly became a big fan favourite, often found at jostling against old favourites like Classical and The Wings in the quarter and semi-finals of annual Fall World Cups on music forums and social media. And next was a groovy number, with a thrilling intro of MES shouting, Legend, well cocked! What About Us was an oblique tale of a East German immigrant admonishing infamous serial killer Harold Shipman for not sending his supply of morphine his way. The session ended with a new take of Wrong Place, Right Time from I Am Curious Orange, which segues into I Can Hear the Grass Grow, as heard earlier on the UK tour. Sadly, the 24th Peel session was to be the last. John Peel suffered a fatal heart attack whilst on a working holiday in Peru. Tributes came in from many of those who Peel worked with and supported in his champion of music past, present and future. As many of us know, he liked his fall and MES paid tribute to him on BBC Two's Newsnight. Well, I say paid tribute. He was interviewed with Michael Bradley from The Undertones over video link and because of A, a fault with the video link, or, and B, as MES claims, reference needed, that he had been up for two days following a nasty incident when he had been spiked by a scouser. The interview was regarded rightly or wrongly as a complete car crash. But these last two sessions were the sound of a band invigorated. Live reviews of four gigs praise new song with pacifying joint noted for its simplistic five-note keyboard riff, assume sounding a lot like early numbers stepping out, and the rambunctious bow doodad often opening proceedings before MES sorted onto the stage. There was also another cover, this time of Walk Like a Man by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, which was as great as that sounds. In November of 2004, there was another stopgap release of Odds, Sods and Curios. Interim provided the faithful with a bamboozling compilation of rough edits of the last Peel session tracks, sometimes alternating between one mix and another in the blink of an eye, and numbers with radical alterations, including the final track Boxtosis Alarum, which had the live favourite suddenly interrupted by another instrument, this time a smoke alarm going off in the studio. To have this on record and not consigned to the bin says it all, and I for one was glad to receive it in my Christmas stocking that year. Bullhead's Roll was released after two more tours of the UK and the European leg in the summer. Despite some of the new student versions, not as enough bite as the Peel versions, in particular Binus and What About Us, and some dissenting voices that the overall full sound on this record is quite meat and potatoes rock, it's one of my favourites of the noughties. Riffs and beats snake into the brain and force you to react, particularly later on in the album with Bodemek, and for my money, the best on the album, You Wanna, which is pretty serious. I would happily lop off the last two tracks, breaking the rules, 
is walk like a man without the shock of hearing the full cover it for the first time, and Closer Trusting Me may as well be by a completely different band with no MES present at all. But that's carping. Elsewhere with Bossa Nova, in a tribute to Unt S. Thompson in Midnight in Aspen, and the sublime drum-brushed early days of Channel Fura, which is why, where I believe the album should end. Without Peel, though, the four had lost a mainstream championing voice. But to commemorate, Castle released something that had been in the pipeline for a while, and something Peel would have wanted, a 60-box set of all 24 radio sessions the group had performed for his programme. There was also a BBC documentary entitled The Wonderful and Frightening World of Mark E. Smith, an excellent, if not incredibly bittersweet programme with Peel talking about the latest radio session two months before his untimely passing. There was a radio session on BBC Three's Mixing It, but it firmly seemed like the end of an era. Guitarist Ben Pritchard said in a 2004 documentary, The experience of being in the fall will give you the most fantastic time of your life that you will never have had in any other band. But at the same time, you get some of the most frightening experiences. He later said, Creatively, it's the best band to be in. Little did he know that within two years, he'd be labeled a treacherous lying cunt and would never talk to Marky e. Smith again. In 2006, the Falls lineup had been relatively stable, at least in regards to the core sound driven by Ben's guitar and Elena's keys. Now Mark was erratic, he's always erratic, but fans and critics both agreed that the Fall was back and better than ever, but the cracks were starting to show. Mark had walked out on a few gigs and managed to piss off bassist Steve Trafford by stealing his suitcase and pouring water all over it. The band went into the studio in early 2006 and recorded a whole album's worth of material, but Mark told them it was all unusable and it had to be re-recorded, which Ben claims is just something Mark does when he doesn't have any lyrics. Mark has called this Lost Fall album both some Eric Clapton shit and some Sunday Before Work Ben Drinkin' All Weekend karaoke take on Ed's role. It's hard to know what to believe, as neither seems to describe the same thing. Now Mark had booked some more studio time for the middle of their American tour to try to finish the album. The band wouldn't survive long enough to get there. The tour started poorly when the airline lost the band's backdrops. Mark's foul drunken mood culminated with him attacking Spencer with a corkscrew. By the fourth show, the tour manager slash driver was done with Mark and was taking the tour van with him. Apparently, he didn't like it when Mark poured beer on him while he was driving and tried to light him on fire. What can I say? Americans are weak. Naturally, nobody wanted to tell Mark. Faced with the prospect of being stranded in Phoenix with their unhinged boss, Ben, Spencer, and Steve decided to quit after that night's show. And what a show it was. A few bars into the second song, a member of the opening act threw a banana at Mark and ran off. Mark calmly removed his jacket, picked up the banana, and chased him down for the duration of the next couple songs. He eventually came back, but stopped the show only a few minutes later. And thus the fall was reduced to just Mark and Elaney, and they still had 13 more shows left on the tour. Their label, Shaddox, trying to salvage the situation, put together a new band in record time. They enlisted guitarist Tim Presley 
and bassist Rob Barbato from the band Darker My Love, and a drummer with probably the coolest name ever, Orfeo McCord. The new band, labeled by Marquez, The Dudes, arrived in San Diego and were given a quick rundown of the songs in a three-hour rehearsal, then tossed on stage. The show was a disaster, but they didn't quit. In fact, the band quickly hit their stride, and the fall garnered excellent reviews for the whole tour. In the end, not a single show was cancelled. Still, the future of this band was up in the air. Two of the members had other band commitments, and sticking with the fall would involve a massive relocation. Still, every indication was that Mark intended to keep the dudes together, and when they'd finished their obligations in the States, they came to England and recorded what would become their 2007 album, Reformation, post-TLC. The name refers to the band's reforming after the breakup. Now anyone familiar with Mark E. Smith would know that TLC does not stand for Tender Loving Care. The dudes show a lot of promise on this album, delivering some really great grooves. But it does get a bit samey, with a lot of the tracks having similar riffs and tempos. Some exceptions include this album's cover, Merle Haggard's White Line Fever, and had been in their live set even with the previous lineup. As far as covers go, this is one of their better ones. They show their funky side on Insult Song, which was recorded live in one take, with the band jamming and Mark just rambling on top of it for a whole seven minutes. Mark and company explore the other side of Trout Rock in the semi-ambient weirdness of Doss Boat. It's nice to see them try other things, but I doubt many would say the experimentation worked, especially when stretched out for over 10 minutes. Reformation post-TLC is often seen as a lesser fall album, but given that it was recorded by a replacement band, it could have been much worse. This new band tries some novel sounds and shows a lot of promise for the future. That is, if they had one. In a quote that has become obligatory with any mention of the fall, Mark Smith has said, If it's me and your granny on bongos, it's the fall. So it's a little bit surprising that his collaboration with Mouse on Mars from 2007 was not considered the newest version of The Fall. I mean, 2007 would still see a new version of The Fall, but this particular project was called Von Sudenfed. The reason I mention it is its recording placed Mark in Dusseldorf, so he used the opportunity to record the next proper album with Mouse on Mars's Andy Toma and his usual collaborator, Grant Showbiz. To help out, Mark called in bassist Dave Spur, who graduated from understudy to permanent member of the now two-bass lineup. Dave was to add overdubs to a batch of songs that Mark had written with the dudes. He fully expected that when he arrived in Dusseldorf, there'd be an album waiting for him. Rookie fall mistake. There were no songs recorded. There wasn't even a band. The dudes were unable to make the trip. Mark had just neglected the talent. So Dave started furiously recording random bass lines, and in desperation called in Pete Greenway and Kieran Melling, who'd also played some live shows when the dudes had other obligations. The makeshift band lived in the studio. The individual musicians just recorded song fragments on their own time, and Mark would come in, listen to what they'd done, and either give them a thumbs up or down, and direct them where to go from there. Nobody seemed to understand that Pete could only be there for six days, 
so the majority of his guitar tracks were hurriedly recorded on his last day there. For how chaotic the recording of Imperial Wax Sullivan was, it holds together very well, managing to sound cohesive, hardly the work of yet another replacement band throwing together 45 minutes of new material over a couple weeks. Imperial Wax Sullivan contains some new sounds for the fall. For example, opener Alton Towers, an unexpected bit of jazzy weirdness. The unique sound of the guitar was captured by recording Pete Greenway's guitar parts from a fire escape outside the studio. The main riff is based upon a theme of Edvard Grieg's Hall of the Mountain King, which was the theme song for Alton Towers Resort Park in England, hence the name, maybe. The album's highlight is the epic 50-year-old man, comprising multiple sections, weird twists and turns, and even a banjo interlude. There was even more than what ended up on the album, but it still runs 11 minutes, making it one of the longest songs the band would ever record, and a clear standout of their late era. It leads directly into the punky I've Been Duke, which features what I think are Elaney's best lead vocals. Another favorite is Can Can Summer, featuring some can-like grooves very reminiscent of Moonshake and obvious cut-and-paste origins. The title fits. This album also includes the weird electronic Taurig, which is anagram for guitar. A joke because it's the only track that doesn't have any. Imperial Wax Solvent sold well, and even charted in the UK. It saw a second resurgence a year after its 2008 release, when hundreds of people, when putting on their brand new copy of Britain's Got Talent finalist Farrell Smith's debut album, were greeted by Mark's curmudgeonly ranting. Universal had pressed Imperial Wax Solvent onto the first few hundred copies of the album. There are no reports, however and whether Mark and the gang gained any new fans from this mistake. So, once again, Mark and Elaney found themselves with their third band and three albums, but the fall were more successful than ever. The question in everybody's mind was, how long would this new group last? Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, we are in episode five of the fall, episode something of Temporary Fandoms. 19, and you have been you 19. Whatever. And you have been listening to uh, James Kennedy and Aaron Troy White talking through the early noughties um, period of the fall. Um, Nick and I have been recording these all day, and this was my first time listening to all the fall records over the last few weeks. So if I occasionally make a mistake of which album has which thing on, I really don't care. You email me. Um, I don't think you have my email address. Email me. Um, so still with us, we have James Kennedy. Hey, James. Hi. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Uh, Aaron. Good evening. Uh, Tansy. And Mike. Good evening. And obviously Nick. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, let's go cracking. Um, we, we ended episode four of the four um, with what surprised many people, my favorite fall album, which was the unutterable. Um, bear in mind, this is my first listen to the entire discography. Maybe I will go back to those 80s classics and rediscover them. Um, so we left it hanging at that point. And in my head, they were going somewhere that I quite liked. And whew, let's see what happens with that. We're going straight into Are You Missing Winner? Oh, you are um, missing winner. Oh, I'm missing winner. See, I've already made a mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so James. What's going on with the band at this time? Um, I'm going to ask the obligatory same lineup question. It's not the same lineup, no, no. And uh, 
I think what the interesting thing is here is not so much what's happening with the band. It's what's happening with the singer himself, um, Marky Smith. There's an interesting transitional period here, uh, rather like Doctor Who, like shape-shifting, <laughs> where um, coming to the end of the, the Levitate and Marshall Sweet era, uh, era, there's a lot of stuff to talk about transfiguration and shape-shifting. And uh, particularly with the unutterable, it sort of occupies this sort of otherworldly realm, which uh, you do see on quite a lot of Fall albums anyway, but on IR Missing Winner, that's gone. And this new figure's emerged um, called MES. And it's really, really quite interesting because this is a real stripped-back garage sound. It's really, really raw. And it's not like the Unutterable, which is incredibly technicolor, a really, really, really acid-drenched feel of an album. This is, well, apparently it was recorded in a, um, uh, in a basement in a gym. They had no money, right? There was, I mean... At this point, they pretty much they'd made a bit of cash from the last album, total lineup change, and they were a bit suddenly strapped for cash, and they were on a low budget. And uh, so, I mean, was it as much of a stylistic choice to record in a rat-infested basement, or was it pure necessity? I think it's necessity. I think it's complete reemergence, and it has to happen. For me, are you a missing winner? Is the um, after what's all happened before? This is complete. This is complete ground zero. This is which is reflected uh, in the time. I say Ground Zero with uh, Crop Dust, which um, has, has a sort of, um, a lot's made of Marky e. Smith's uh, pre, uh, precognizant abilities. And uh, people say that Crop Dust does reference the uh, uh, destruction of, the two, of the, uh, the two towers or the Twin Towers. I could never get it right. One's The Hobbit and one's uh, in the New York. The Twin Towers. The, the Twin, Twin Towers, towers. yeah. That, that happened a couple of years later on that day. No, no, that happened a couple of months later on that. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful album. Some of those guitar sounds that they, you, you get out of it, that sort of exploded amp, it's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, I wrote down, Are You On Missing Winner, brackets 2001, brackets ouch, uh, was my first line. Um, I got some notes, basically, it sounded a lot, very disheveled. Um, more punky as an ethos than punk as a sound. Um, am I right in thinking that Ibis Afroman was cut and paste from a bunch of tape recordings, Nick? Sounds very plausible. I don't know, but I do have to say at this point, uh, this album is quite often cited by many Fall fans as their worst record. I don't think that, but I have heard it said a lot. And for a while, I think I, I did think that, but it's one of those records I came back to later on and thought, no, this is actually pretty good. It's a, it's good, strong, garagey fall. It's, it's sludgy. You know, it's got it's it's, it's very sort of lo-fi fall, but then that, that was often the case, and uh, I think it's great. Um, Tansy, um, where are you with with this period fall? I mean, is Are You on Missing Winner one of their their great comebacks, or is it one of their worst albums? You know, I, in my personal opinion, it actually isn't one of my favorites. I mean, when it comes to albums and songs that fall fans tend to like, I'm a bit I'm a bit iffy in that respect. I tend to like a lot of the stuff that um people don't like or I tend to like a, or I tend to dislike a lot of the stuff that's quite popular with the fans so I think that album for me isn't really one of my favourites to be honest um, I could personally see why um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but there is generally, generally usually dissent in this group um, Aaron how are you on this sort of 
back to the punky, disheveled, sludgy, cut and paste, low low budget, the fall. I mean, I think it's a I think it's a not a popular opinion, but I think this is a return to form for the fall. Yay! Um, I think I think they got a bit lost, and I think they got a bit lost in the nineties. Um, they started trying. I think he's just started trying a lot of styles of music that he doesn't know anything about. And I don't think he does it particularly well. I'm, I'm not going to be shy that I'm not a big fan of nineties uh, fall. And uh, but was that, sorry, was that in the, is that him going, Oh, let's try something baggy. Let's try something a bit industrial. Or is it the fact that there are musicians coming into the band who were bringing in those sounds? Uh, I mean, you, you, you can't not be in Manchester throughout the 80s and 90s and if you've got a revolving lineup one of your guitarists is going to sound like he's been listening to the Inspiral Carpets one of your drummers is going to bring something else in do you think Aaron that it's Marky Smith led this genre shifting or do you think it's 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 part and parcel of what happens with a band like The Fall I mean I think there's a mixture I mean from from what I've read he's he definitely has a lot of veto power he definitely helps direct the band, and if they're doing something he doesn't like, he's not afraid to tell them that. He's not afraid to have his band record an entire album and say, "No, this is a bunch of shit. Make a new one." So that's fair. That's so, also I mean, why. So no matter what, he's always going to be behind it. Um, I think the previous, what was the one right before this, "Unutterable," mm-hmm. my favorite. I thought, I thought that one was actually pretty good. Like it felt like they were starting to re-get it, but this, I just really love the lo-fi aesthetics. I love how the it gets in the middle of the tracks like i was listening to uh like crop dust i think crop dust is just incredible but like the volume just goes up and down like that sounds like the <laughs> like they're 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 playing and they only have one microphone and like they they come and they go and they talk to like somebody off to the side and oh yeah yeah we're recording this and it just i don't know i i, I love it it's got a certain charm to it. it it sounds like they're having a lot of fun, but it turns out they didn't. It turns out everybody hated it. Did, did they ever have yeah, fun, Mike? I thought it's, ever- I, it sounds like a fun album to me, but apparently it wasn't fun from what I've read. <laughs> Mike, um, is Are You On Missing Winner, um, uh, a, <laughs> is it a fun fall album for you? I mean, you've been there since the beginning. Yeah. And there have been ups and there have been downs. There have. And the, uh, the fall have come in and out of my life. Uh, I've had periods where I've been obsessively going to gigs and then periods where because of you know things that were going on in real life I just wasn't listening to music a great deal especially the fall and I actually came back to the fall around the time of our future uh, your future our clutter after like a five or six year break so I didn't even know what had been going on I didn't know about lineup changes or anything so I, it was going back and listening to that I only listened to I are missing winner once and then the second time would have when we did the uh the immersion after Mark's death. So mm-hmm. listening to this last week was only the third time I've ever given it a proper play. I like the low fineness of it, but you know, the songs aren't great. Crop Dust is, is fantastic. Um, but for me, it's just not an album that ever grabbed me. But, you know, against that, I've not really given it time, but it's, it does very little to grab my interest. Okay. Okay. Um, so if this was a, for some a return to form and for some a misstep, um surely the next one uh the real new fall lp brackets country on the clip close brackets um which is well almost the start of a new period the eleni period i guess if we're gonna Mm -hmm. have a bricks period we can have an eleni period um he sounds a bit happier sounds into it he -hmm. sounds like this is something he's he's uh, he's 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 found his mojo again um for me anyway um i think sparta fc is fucking brilliant um 
James, and what's happening with the real, the real, oh God, it's such a tongue twister, this one. <laughs> Call it country on the click. That'll do. What's happening with C-O-T-C? It's, it's an absolute, uh, it's an absolute killer. It really, really is. I mean, they'd been, um, well, I think he'd been banned from do, going into, um, uh, record any uh, repeal sessions for a while because apparently there was this uh, time where he did a, ble- a Breezebop gig on Mary Ann Hobbs's show and he bought, just bought a load of country and western albums in and gives the needle across and everything generally caused chaos. This was in, in, around about the time of uh, Levitating and Marshall Street, I think. I've never heard the session. I'd love to hear it. It's meant to be utter chaos. Uh, and so well, this was the first time they did... Um, uh, they've done Peel in absolutely ages. This is 2003, this one. And you're right, it's mm-hmm. so re- revitalised. And uh, the first track off, um, um, off the new Peel session was Sparta FC. And you can tell the way it comes in. It's one, two, three, four, fuck off. And it <laughs> goes in and it's going full help for it. It's fantastic. They do punk flow. I think they do a cover of a track called Grooving which goes into Green Eyed Loco Man and a really, really, really fast cover of Mutineers Sued Magag Ed off um, Hex. I saw them in Manchester around this time. I was living there for my sins and it was um, uh, October and they did two nights at the beer keller and then they did a signing at um, HMV Oxford. No, it's not Oxford. I don't know. I don't know where it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it was like, they, it was like they were a new band. There were so many people there. It was it was absolutely random. When they they came on the stage at the beer keller, it was about a good forty five minute wait while we have to listen to um, Luke Forty One, which I think starts off. Um, well, it's Luke Forty One Hexagon. So it was just uh, two notes just going over and a bit of Panda 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 the for the spoken word album he did in two thousand two. The second spoken yeah. word album. Actually, it was a really good time to be a full fan because there were spoken word albums. There were there was new peel session, more of which come on to later with full heads roll, and uh, there was a couple of interim albums. There was an album indeed called Interim. Uh, there was a two G plus two. There was loads of stuff going on, um, and it really, really, and yeah, and you can tell I. Not as with Are You Are Missing Winner, but with real, with real new 4LP, there's hits, 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 hits. I mean, it doesn't, it starts off and it doesn't let up. It really is quite incredible. Um, is, I mean, I touched on it briefly. I mean, obviously, people come and people go. Um, some people who have joined the band, and we've talked in various episodes of the pod, um, whether or not they were bricks or whether or not they were, looks at whether they were bringing a keyboard along, there were certain changes that new members of the band brought. Um, uh, Tansy. Um, this is when uh, uh, Eleni joined the band, and there does seem to be an element of somebody bringing something in. Um, asking you, as someone who, who has joined a band that has been going for a while, um, how open would you would you say that bands like Legacy Acts almost uh, are to new voices? Um, how much influence would you say you can have? Uh, how much of a stamp can you make? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, th- I think it, it really depends on who you're working with. I mean, obviously, with The Fall and Marky Smith, there was that, there always was that idea of changing, changing lineup and, you know, that idea of collaboration, despite the fact that Mark would, you know, try to take all the credit and deny the, the you know, the input of the other members as much as he could. But I think 
what I've always found interesting about this period, especially when Eleni joins, it seems like that um, there seems to be a bit more democracy in terms of their contributions, you know, individual member contributions. And one thing I've always thought about this period, so like in early 2000s, because um, we did mention before that the late 90s, 90s were a bit dodgy, <laughs> maybe to some people, but I think. When you get to the early 2000s with The Fool, you start to see a bit of a consolidation in terms of, I think, the overall sound and in terms of the, um, the band. The, the band is slowly becoming a lot tighter, and you can kind of see that a bit more with later lineups, I suppose, mid-2000s and later. And so in my head, that obviously indicates that, you know, Mark was, I suppose, maybe listening a bit more to the other members or, mm-hmm. you know, allowing more of a a stronger contribution from the other band members and i think yeah i'm yeah i mean i'm i i in terms of being in bands personally i haven't really been in that many bands this is i think blue orchids is probably the first proper band i've been in to be honest which is quite mind-blowing considering that's where you start um, <laughs> yeah i mean it's a pretty good start I'm i'm really grateful so i mean i can only speak from my experience as well and i've only been in the in blue orchids for literally a year it's been a year so in terms of the way blue orchids work i think it is probably quite similar to the fall because obviously martin brahma coming from that same collaborative background so it's really more about you know what what everyone can can contribute you know no one's no one's contribution is, is lesser than the others and i think you can really hear that, I think, with the with the later fall albums, especially as you get closer to some of the albums we'll probably talk about later. There was there was a really strong kind of consolidated sound, which you you don't really get so much previously. I think. Okay, that, that's really good. Thank you. Um, question: I'm just double checking this. Um, Mike, Sparta FC was the one that ended up being used for the football end of time results on the BBC, right? It did, did, he start, did he even get royalties from this? I mean, I, From what I read, the BBC are very careful if they truncate it just below the threshold of so many seconds, they don't pay royalties. I know Smith had mentioned it in a couple of interviews. Um, yeah, I was so far out the loop at this point of the, the fall, I used to hear that every Saturday and I didn't even know it was the fall until <laughs> oh, <wow>. later. <laughs> okay. This is how, how much out of the loop I was. However, this album I've listened to numerous times. Um, I was a member of the Fall on On Forum when I reconnected with the fall and uh, we did a couple of tribute albums where various fa- uh, members of the forum um, we created entire albums of cover versions. Um, and when they announced we were doing this one, you didn't know which track you were going to get. So I'd listen to it a whole load, trying to get work away into which one I, I might get given. I think it's a phenomenal album. Uh, I think the introduction of Eleni, who obviously I was a huge fan of, I thought she really brought something to the band, not only in adding keyboards in the game, but in terms of Mark himself. I think he did seem happier. He seemed healthier than he had done in a long time. Uh, that didn't last very long. But uh, there was a, 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 it was like a re-energised band when she came in, in the same way that Brick, Brick's brought something to the band. I think Eleni brought just as much. Okay, fantastic. Um, um, I'm, 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 good. I'm desperately 
conscious of time and with six people, I'm not sure. dwelling on each individual person as much as I would do. Um, but Nick is leaning forward and waving his hands around. So well, no, yeah. I just, I mean, this album in particular, <laughs> if I can't say anything about any of the other albums today, I definitely want to talk about the, the Real New Fall LP because in terms of my Fall fandom, I think it was quite an important record. Because in the previous episode, I talked about how towards the end of the 90s, my full, fan was drifting, full fandom was drifting a bit in that I was happy they were there. I was still aware of the albums, but I wasn't excitedly looking forward to new releases or anything anymore. And around the time that this album came out, I just happened to have a job with a night shift and I was just I started listening to John Peel again a lot. And they started playing this new full stuff and it totally reinvigorated my full fandom. I really, really love this album. It's up there with the best for me. I think it's, it's a really great fall album. And... Um, but also, uh, James mentioned the uh, Interim, uh, which has a track on it called Mod Mock Goth, which is one of my favorite full songs from that period as well. Uh, and I think on the US release of uh, Country on the Click, that's actually on the main LP. But one other thing about this album that I think is worth mentioning is uh, there's very few great fall covers out there. And what I mean is people, other people covering the fall. But PJ Harvey did a great version of Janet and Johnny and Jane, which you can find on YouTube. It's worth looking up. Uh, she's... It's brilliant. It's really, really good. And very few people have successfully covered The Fall, I, I don't think. Um, I mean, Pavement did it, but then that, arguably that was their entire career. <laughs> but, uh, they did also cover the classical. Um, pretty yeah, well. we, we, have covered, we, have, we have touched upon that uh, in a previous episode. Um, Aaron, I'll come to you in a minute um, when we go on to the next album. Uh, the last album was 2003. We're now in 2005. A two-year gap. Um, not quite churning out in the same level that they did in the 90s, but, but still pretty respectful, respectable. Um, before I come to you, James, Aaron, um, where are you on this one? I mean, for me, like this, it chugs away quite nicely. It critically fair, relatively well-reviewed. Marky Smith seems to drift in and out a little bit, but this is a pretty solid album, right? I think it's definitely really solid. It continues the, the streak. Um, you know, Country on the Click is top five for me. Heads Roll is... It's just that little step below. Um, I remember when we were listening to the entire discography a couple years ago, my thought was I was just waiting for this album to get bad, and it didn't. It just stayed good. Um, I love the background vocals. I think that's something they introduce in uh, Country on the Click, and they keep it going here. Uh, just having other voices in the band, like like voices, voices, really uh, adds a lot to it. Um, Blindness might be my favorite fall song. Just that bass line, the restraint the band shows in blindness. Like, they're not just all jamming together, but just like the guitars, the keys, just everything just coming in at just the right moment. They they could go crazy with it, but they don't. Great bass line. I think there is a good thing about the, when there are female voices uh, in the late 90s and early noughties, um, it's not like it's smooth and stylistic backing singers. For me, every so often, it sounds like Banana Rama have been let into the room. <laughs> and I say that with all respect, uh, but there's sort of a lovely Banana Rama feel to the sort of shambolic <laughs> feel of it, of it all. Um, James, um, coming over to you on this one. Um, how about this? I mean, do you, uh, this is one of Aaron's, Aaron's favorite tracks. Um, a blindness, I think, yeah, it chugs away with some swagger. I mean, it's pretty good. What about the rest of the album? What's happening with Marky Smith? What's his album for you? This is, um, I, I really like this one. It's my second favourite of the noughties. Um, uh, I think, and uh, just going from what I said before about when I was talking about uh, Real New 4 LP, 
there was this like this absolutely comprehensive reissue of all the um or most of the falls back catalogue on Castle Sanctuary. Um they'd recorded that what would be their final peel session as well. And I remember hearing that live. I think it was the probably the only full, full um peel session I heard live at the time. And it, it it's incredible. <laughs> it's just uh, wow. I mean I unfortunately haven't got a copy, my own copy of the Peel Sessions box myself, which is silly. But um, I remember hearing Vines for the first time and just thinking, what on earth is this? This is just like one thing. Because I've been a Fall fan for about nine years but, uh, by that time in 2005. And they, they just seemed to be anything he'd do, I just thought, this is this is great, it's wonderful. I met there, I saw him live in 2004 and he'd fallen over and broken his hip. And um, been into hospital, which is a theme that will go from here into our, all the rest of the albums. Is sort of uh, life, death, the underworld, where he's sort of contemplating his own mortality. To my mind, anyway, um, I probably might upset some people when they hear that. But uh, yeah, I mean, this uh, uh, and they weren't that great when I saw them in two thousand and four. John Cooper Clark was supporting act, and he was wonderful. First time I'd ever seen him, and that was before he'd done his name. Um, but. I think from here, then on, the band just seemed to get better and better and better. I mean, they were solid, they were tight. There was this uh, gig I saw, I can't remember, it was, that, it was this gig I saw a DVD, I think it was in Reading, I think it was, and they were solid. It was like um, it was like the last band, actually, because they were just like powerhousing through all songs. I mean, blimey, I mean, stuff like, um, uh, I keep on forgetting what it's called in the actual album, Bodemic and um, mm-hmm. You Wanna. I mean, you want it, bloody hell. I mean, wow. That's one that just knocks knocks the socks off. It is pure, it is pure fall, isn't it? Like, you want is basically, oh, this is this could easily fit on any of the 80s fall albums. Uh, you, you hear it, and there's no experimentation with this. This is pure, pure, pure fall. That's um, what's good about it, is that they're, they finally are not afraid to sound like the fall again. I think that's why, why I really like this era, is that they sound like the fall again. Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, we'll come back to the idea uh, of the band sounding tight and good because obviously a good tight band is going to stay around forever, right? Um, Mike, you were back into the fall at this point. You'd rediscovered your love for them? Again, I, this is an album I've, I discovered after uh, Your Future, Our Clutter. Um, I'll keep this short, but Aaron's bang on. This is a banging album. But for me, this was like the fall had discovered how to turn guitar amps up again and properly crank songs out so loud you know stuff like pacifying joint just it's the guitar playing is so simplistic but so effective a magnificent album right through well that sounds like it's almost a a perfect time to go on to i mean one thing i've noticed um over the past few weeks of listening to the fall and reading about the fall it's also the first few weeks i've ever in my life thought maybe i should look at cryptocurrency people are making a money on this and I've been looking at the charts of cryptocurrency and how well it does, and it goes up and then it plummets back down and it comes up and it plummets back down. And the fall's career for me just seems to be this this Bitcoin chart of highs <laughs> and lows. And just when you think it's going to go up, suddenly there's a massive crash and people wake up in tears. Um, apologies for, for my next line, but um, we're not going to go chasing waterfalls with Reformation post TLC. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You think that was bad? I've got some more later. Um, Excellent. (laughs) So, obviously, there's a band. 
and the band hasn't quit during the tour for a while. Surely that can't go on. Um, Aaron, you did. Aaron, this is one of yours. Um, what happened? Um, to make a long story short, I think everyone was getting pissed off at Mark. Mark was drinking a lot. He was getting disgruntled, and um, essentially, he he pissed off the tour manager. Um, they found this tour manager, and they the the label asked, "Hey, do you want to be tour manager for Fall?" And the guy was like. I've heard it's hard, but how hard could it be to be the tour manager for Fall? Oh, little did he know. Mark was <laughs> Mark was walking off stage mid-show. Um, he was apparently getting drunk three times a day. He would get drunk, sober up, get drunk, sober up. Um, he tried to kill the bassist with a corkscrew. Um, he tried to light the, the tour manager, also the driver for the van. He tried to light him on fire. Um, just... It was just it was just terrible and, and the tour manager told everyone but Mark and Elaney that when we get the Phoenix I'm leaving and I'm taking the van with me. Fuck all you guys. Or not fuck all you guys, but fuck Mark. And the rest of the band's like, Well, I don't want to stick with this either and so they just said after the end of the show we're gonna leave and we're not gonna be with them. And at the end of the show they just left. They didn't even tell Mark they were leaving, they're just like, We're done. <laughs> Take me with you, I can see perfectly. Um, Nick, what's got what's gone wrong? I mean, he's happy. He's in a relationship. He's stable. Well, he's he's found his mojo he's, again. He's clearly got a lot of demons that he hasn't dealt with yet, hasn't he? I mean, um, I don't I don't really know what was going on in his life at this point, but um, yeah, it sounds like he was a bit of a mess again, which was stuff we're familiar with from the late nineties. For um, it, it does also seem to be a thing. We we talked in the last few episodes about how um, almost like abusive relationships, people seem to stick with the fall despite the fact that they were being insulted or there were diss songs about them um yet that loyalty of band members at least at this moment doesn't seem to be there maybe because there's been such a high turnover and there aren't that many people who were there from the beginning um i've, I've written a few notes um who is this band white line fever is just odd followed by das boot can fuck right off See my opinions on Can in previous episodes. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I, honestly, I would just say, I'm, I'm bearing in mind by this point, this was, this was the end of my listening to all the discography, and I was hoping there'd be something good for me here. Um, Tansy. Okay, Reformation post TLC, um, which stands for whatever it stands for, we all know. Um, how is this album? Toyota Land Cruiser, Sham- I believe. Oh. Toyota Land Cruiser, really? Mm-hmm. I looked okay. it up. <laughs> um, TLC. Um, yeah, we, one of the words is liars. One of the words is traitors. One of the words isn't. Um, how is this album for you? I mean, for me, it was a bit of a shambles. I was starting to like them again, and it just went off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, TLC, tender loving catastrophe in my head. Um, well, that's the thing. I, I actually prefer the previous album. To this one, it seemed like with the previous album, they were they were they were kind of getting momentum, and then this one, it's kind of I don't know. I mean, to me, the only standout track on this album is is Reformation. The rest of them are a bit. Mm. I mean, I've given this album a listen to a couple of times, but yeah, I, it's it doesn't really go anywhere for me. I don't know what it is. It's I don't want to say it's crap, but I think it's crap. Oh no, you can say that. And that's coming from a, a diehard Fall fan. I yeah, I think it's obviously there was something going on in his personal life, or there was something going on, but they just couldn't pull it together. 
Do you think it could also be the fact that, I mean, because obviously the band basically quit and he just replaced them with a bunch of young American, yeah, American musicians who lads, had, yeah. I mean, that could have worked. They came with no baggage, so they weren't coming in trying to sound like the four, but also they came in not knowing who the four was. And he, I imagine he was shouting at them, play like this. And they're like, all right, granddad, we're playing it like this. But that was normal. Mark Mark had said that he wants his people in his band to not know the fall. Like that was... It's impossible, Aaron. It, the it, less you it, know about the fall, the <laughs> more it increases your chance of being in the fall. That's that's the paradox of the fall. But that's but this is it. Everyone before, or the majority of people before, uh, would say maybe Bricks as, uh, uh, as a, uh, an outlier, they knew who he was. It was impossible to be a musician in the 90s going through various bands, particularly at Manchester, and not know the legacy of or the music of and the shadow cast by Marquis e. Smith. This was probably the first time it was a bunch of local kids from, what was it, Phoenix, where, where, where they lost everybody? Um, Nick. Was it? Hmm? I think they were from Chicago. The band? Yeah. That explains everything. Um, Nick, how's, um, how's post-TLC for you? Um, well, that, sound, that sounded sleazy. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I've got no real love for this album. Uh, it, so this is the point where I'd, you know, I'd come back in. Suddenly, my my love of the fall was rejuvenated, and I'd always felt that uh, there's a few fall albums in the past that were growers that I didn't love straight away, and I came to like. And because of that, every single new release I worked really hard at. I'd go out and buy it, and I and even if I didn't like it the first time, I'd listen and I'd listen and I'd listen. And just sometimes I'd come a point where I had to admit, it's like, you know what? Maybe I just don't like this one. I don't hate it. I mean, you know, it's it's okay, but there's just nothing nothing about it that I love. I can't I can't defend it. Um, it doesn't seem to be have many people defending it. James, you gonna defend it? Sorry. <laughs> um, there's some great moments on it. Um, a lot, um, Reformation, and particularly the video that goes with it, um, with it's absolutely fantastic. He he looks wonderful in the video. I think uh, dancing in the pub. Um, I think Das Boots, I, lo- I love that. It, I, find it, I think it's a really, really tender love song between him and Elena. It's wonderful. It's pure. It's natural. Fantastic. I think the problem with, um, with it is that it's, the production's rubbish. I mean, something like Systematic Abuse should be, it should be Hawkwind. It should be like the live section of um, Ibis Afro Man, which is my favourite bit of all ever. But um, no, it doesn't. It just doesn't do anything at all. But there's some great moments on it, like scenario co- coaching horses, and they always would play. My door is never all, or when when I've seen them again on full sound. But yeah, it's just it's just a bit flat, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so in a, in a previous pod, uh, Nick and I both mentioned how Marky Smith always seemed to be fifty to us. Um, even though he was probably only 27 when we first saw him and we were like 18-year-old kids, it always seemed to be a 50-year-old. Moving on to, wait, how, make sure I pronounce this correct, Imperial Wax Solvente. Um, moving, on to, <laughs> moving on to Imperial Wax Solvent. Mark, Mark is 50. And yeah. he's singing about being 50. Um, Aaron, what's a 50-year-old Marky e. Smith who's happy with being a 50-year-old Marky e. Smith sing about? We discovered on previous parts, he generally sings about what he's watching on TV. Um, which you will find out in episodes three and four of the pod, there is a song that's basically a Flintstones plotline. Um, what's happening with Marky Smith at this point? Oh, well, with Marky Smith, um, I, I, I just want to preface and say that I, I really like this album. I, I definitely put it in my 
if not top 10, then very close to top 10. Um, but Mark's starting to lose it by this point. Um, he's not as sharp. His vocals aren't as, aren't as great. Um, but the band sounds good. He's got some good songs on here. This is not the same band, is it? He ditched the American kids and got some English kids. No, they, they couldn't come. And so this was the this is the live replacement for the Americans, and they just kind of showed up in Dusseldorf to record an album because there was no one else to do it. Mm-hmm. And that they, 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 they like the instead of being like, "Well, fuck you," they pulled it together and were like, "Okay, fine, we'll make this album in two weeks or whatever." However short of time they threw this thing together, um, I think it's I, I I like a lot of the songs in this. I think uh, I loved Can Can Summer because it sounds like Can. <laughs> Will you never let me forget that? Forget that. <laughs> uh, Tarig, I like Tarig. That's really good. Kinda I'm not sure about like Tarig. Oh, I For love Tarig. I wrote Tarig is either great or terrible. I don't know yet, and I probably won't listen to it again. But maybe it's great, and maybe it's terrible. Tarig's great. There you it's go. Great. See, James says it's no, great. It's great. No one, no one ever agrees with me. It's fine. Um, well, Tarig, this Tarig album is an Eleni song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, also, I generally, by this point, everything was starting to blend into one a little bit until. Yeah, yeah but Touring sounds unique, doesn't it? It's like oh, yeah, nothing else. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. um, when I started freelancing, I used it for my uh, first ever showreel for the Ooh. music. Totally uncredited, obviously. Um, <laughs> well, you didn't use Fat, Fat Boy Slims right here, right now, because I thought every freelance showreel in the, in, used to use that. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, when I first when I first heard this this album, I, I didn't like at first Fifty Year Old Man. It just seemed um, I don't know. It seemed a bit obvious and lazy, you it's know. Not, like, it? yeah, but it grew on me over time, you know. But this, is, but it's symptomatic of the kind of lyrics he was writing by this time, which was sometimes just I don't know. They just seemed obvious, which he'd never been in the past. He was always interesting and oblique, and later on, it was just you know, yeah, just him shouting. <laughs> it was just nonsense. <laughs> Some but, might say he's been doing that for a while. Um, well, a bit of but there's some, there's, I mean, I really like I've Been Duped, the one that Eleni sings. Uh, and I saw them do that live. They were actually headlining a festival in Bristol. Uh, so, you know, it, was, it wasn't even an audience of Fall fans. So it was great when it, Marky Smith just walked off stage, left the band. And then uh, Eleni sang I've been, we, I've been Duped. It just felt perfect. At least it did to me as a Fall fan on the front row. I don't know what the people standing behind me thought. All these families. So, you know, nice family festival. Um, did he walk off, or as we've established on previous episodes, did he just go and get the rest of the money? Well, quite possible. I've got no idea what he did when he went off until I heard Fliss's stories in episode two, I think. Um, but also, I love Senior Twilight Stock Replacer. That's a great, great tune. This one, this album charted, didn't it? I mean, this was one that this actually got a bit. It charted in the UK album charts higher than their previous ones had for for for, for a while. Well, that's it. There's a bit of a momentum behind this at this point, you know. Um, Mike, this was the album just before you came back in. I've got it right this time. Um, when you've gone back and, and listened to this, particularly after Reformation post TLC, um, is this moving back? Is this is it swinging back upwards for you? With hindsight, yes. When I uh, uh, played it, I heard this after listening to your Future Art Clutter and wasn't that impressed with it. But now I've listened to it again over the last couple of weeks. I mean, you can hear the formation of what was to come over the next run of albums, uh, particularly with 50-Year-Old Man and uh, Wolf Kid Old Man. 
just this basic riff repeated for three to four minutes, which you know it had always been the case with the four, but it became more so with this lineup. Uh, I think that the songs aren't as strong as what came afterwards, but you know, bearing this is with three young lads all brought into the band and uh, recording an album in very short time. I think it's a phenomenal album. The song, I'll say, the songs aren't as strong, but it shows the chrysalis of what was going to happen. I think. I think that is a perfect place to end this episode um, so that we can leave the listener hanging. Yes, you listener, hanging as to what this chrysalis is going to lead to. Um, will it be a hungry caterpillar or will it be, a, I don't know what I'm talking about, a butterfly? Anyway. Your Bitcoin um, analogy was much better, Ewan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, wasn't it? I should have thought of that beforehand. Anyway, it's been a long day. Um, we will be returning uh, in episode six, I'd like to pretend we're recording it on a different day, but episodes three, four, five, and six were all recorded on a Sunday, so my brain goes in a bit. That's why. Um, thank you very much for this episode, Mike. Thank you very much, Mike. You're welcome. Uh, thank you very much, James. Tansy, thank you very much. No worries. Aaron, great to have you back. Pleasure's all mine. Nick. Cheers. nearly there you can't stop now join us again next week for the final episode of our six-part journey through the fall we'll be joined again by the same guests to whom i want to extend our thanks they were james kennedy aaron t white mike plowman and tansy mcnally of the blue orchids thank you also to my industrious co-host ewan not just for his work chairing the discussions but for splicing it all together afterwards and thank you to jonathan fisher for gifting us our awesome theme tune Links to his work and details of the artist behind other music used on the show can all be found in the show notes. I can't emphasize enough how important reviews are to helping us keep doing this show. So if you've enjoyed it, please say a word or two about it online, particularly on Apple Podcasts. I hate asking, but I want us to be able to keep doing the show, which is so far completely devoid of any kind of sponsorship. That might change, but if it does, we'll try and keep it discreet. I'm sure you understand. You do understand, right? Of course you do. I'm Nick Hilditch, and riddle me this, who are you?